Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be diving into the DSM-5 and borderline personality disorder. Whenever I've taken my reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social engagement disorder child to a therapist, we've run into a lot of issues regarding what the initial diagnosis is and what her actual symptoms are. So I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about some of the personality disorders that have shown up in my reactive attachment disorder child. I'm going to walk through the different criteria in the DSM-5. There are some changes that have occurred in the new uh, version of the DSM-5, but they're not incredibly big. Most of the differences have to do with the fact that they see things on a spectrum now. So instead of saying this is a severe case and this is a less severe case, they tend to sort of say, oh, this is on this end of the spectrum, which shows up in this way. And this is on the other end of the spectrum, which shows up in this way. And then there's like an okay level to be in the middle kind of a thing. So I am no expert. We are all learning together. But I do want to say I still think this is really important for therapists as well as parents of children with reactive attachment disorder to know the differences and to know what is actually going on with their child so that you can get the real help that you need. So borderline personality disorder and sometimes even um, antisocial personality disorder. When I hear about it talked in in all the YouTube videos and stuff that's super, super official, <laughs> um, antisocial tends to show up in boys. And that's now been lumped into the conduct disorders where you have, they say it's a disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder section now where you have oppositional defiance disorder, conduct disorder, antisocial personality disorder, pyromaniac, and I mean, pyromania and kleptomania. So those are now all lumped together. But in the original DSM-5, it was under a personality disorder. Well, borderline personality disorder remains in the personality disorder section. But antisocial pa- social personality disorder is described as a pattern or disregard for or violation of the rights of others. Now, one of the reasons your child is not going to get a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder is because they have in this DSM-5 that you have to be in adolescence or early adulthood in order for these to be part of your diagnosis. They're not going to give a child an antisocial personality disorder diagnosis because they're too young, right? But I found it really unusual as my child is expressing and exhibiting all of the signs of borderline personality disorder. And I had gone to the therapist and I was saying, hey, this is this is how it shows up at my house. And she's like, oh, you know what? we're actually not going to label her as that. You know, let's wait till she's an adult. And I just thought, I know what you're thinking. I know you're looking at me and I know you're saying, you have no idea. Like, I don't even know why you would even try to think that you have any idea. You're so stupid. But I also think, hey, I live with this kid every day. And when I say, hey, none of what you're saying fits, but this fits, 
then I feel like you should at least take it in. And I feel like you should at least take it as information. And I don't need her to have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. But I need you to know this is what she's doing so that we can approach it from the correct angle. So let's move first really quick to antisocial personality disorder. We're not going to talk about this one very often. I mean, for very long, because Um, I really want to focus on borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. But in antisocial personality disorder, the diagnostic criteria is a pervasive pattern or disregard and violation of the rights of others occurring since the age of 15 years, as indicated by three or more of the following. Number one, failure to conform to social norms with respectful and lawful behaviors, as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Number two, deceitfulness, as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit and pleasure. Number three, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Number four, irritability and aggressiveness, as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Number five, reckless disregard for the safety of others. Number six, consistent irresponsibility, as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. Number seven, a lack of remorse is indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. Okay. And then in B, it says the person is at least 18 years old. (laughs) Now, I know I'm probably going to make a lot of therapists really mad when I say this, but I know a lot of reactive attachment disorder children look like this at the age of seven. Like these are things that they do at the age of five, at the age of 10. So to have to wait until you're 18 years old, not just to get the diagnosis, who really cares about the diagnosis, but not to get the help that is connected to these diagnoses blows my mind. I don't know, and I think I've said this before, how many of these children end up being successful as grownups Maybe that's because you're not treating their symptoms until they are grownups. So you have like a 10-year head start when an eight-year-old comes in with these symptoms. You could be treating them and have them eight years into their treatment. But instead, you just try to pretend there are other issues at play. I know of a therapy experience with one of my friends who has a child who has a lot of high needs is the therapist wants to be the child's buddy. They just want to, you know, oh, yeah, buddy, we need, you know, and I'm like, hey, (laughs) I know that you need to build a rapport with your person, but you also are there to help assist in healing that person. And you cannot heal a person if you're more concerned about being their buddy than you are about healing them. I think this is a general rule in parenting. If you are more concerned about being your child's friend or being the child's friend, then you've missed the entire point of being a responsible adult in this child's life. Especially if your child has a personality disorder like antisocial or borderline, you have to be the voice of reason. You have to be the voice of logic. You have to be the voice of authority. So being like, hey, buddy, yeah, oh, for sure. What just because they're little, then you have no idea what you're doing and you have no place inside the mental health field. 
Just none. You should not be there if you are more concerned about being friends with somebody than you are about helping them. And before any of you get all up in arms because you think that, oh, well, how am I supposed to help them if they're not my friend? Having the respect of somebody and being their buddy are two different things. You can have respect and authority and be a voice of reason for this child. They're not stupid. They know the difference. And if you have a child who has a really, really low IQ and does need that, go ahead. Go ahead and use it. If it is the best tactic for that individual child, of course you should use it. But if you have a child with any intelligence, they know the difference. They're not stupid. And they will look at you and think you are the stupidest person and they will play you like a fiddle. and You will have done no good and nothing but harm for this child. So as you can hear, I have some serious feelings about this. We're going to move on to borderline personality disorder because that is how it shows up. Reactive attachment shows up in my child. And I have spent so much time trying to explain this because they're like, no, 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 that doesn't fit. No, 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 no. Because it does. Oh, no, we're just going to jump in and I will explain it. So borderline personality disorders on page 663 of the DSM, not the TR, but just a regular DSM-5. And the diagnostic criteria are a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affects, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. Okay, so they have nine here and you have to have five. Let's see how we do here. Number one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, these children were neglected. This is my child's biggest thing. My husband left on a business trip, a, a business trip where he's leaving at eight o'clock in the morning and he will be home by 11 p.m. tomorrow. She was sobbing beside herself. Now, a lot of therapists will say, oh, well, you know what? Kids do this. Kids do do this, but they don't do this every freaking time for the longest time. She would do this when we'd leave grandma's. She does this when anyone leaves the house. She does this all the time. She cannot handle real or imagined abandonment. She can't have it. And it does say here, it does not include suicidal or self-mutilating behavior because that's in criteria five. But that's, you know, we'll get to that because that also fits in. Number two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships <laughs> characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. You guys, therapists out there, <laughs> can I just yell this in your face? This is what my child experiences. My child either loves you to the point where you are suffocated or she hates you to the point where she will try to poison you. It is one or the other. She does not have a middle ground. If she sees you, she will light up. She's so thrilled to see you. And then if you brush her off, she will be distraught and then she will get vindictive. 
Okay, this is my four year old, five year old, three year old. But you tell me none of this happens because it can't happen until she's 18. Let's move on to number three. Number three, identity disturbance. Markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. One of the key pieces of children who have been neglected and end up with reactive attachment disorders is that they have no sense of self. When they fall asleep, they think they disappear. When they're dealing with people, they become a different whatever all the time. They have no sense of who they are because they have no sense of where their physical boundaries are, no sense of how they interact with other people. I mean, you can't get much closer to no an unstable self-image or sense of self than with children who've been neglected. Number four, impulsivity. (laughs) Ah, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So here is where they can't get it. Note that I already have three and you have to have five, but I'm going to tell you how this differs as my child versus a grown-up. So here are the grown-up examples. Spending money, sex, substance abuse, driving recklessly, and binge eating. Let me show you how it shows up in children, most specifically in my child. Shoving food down your throat, stuffing food to yourself so that you want to vomit, destroying furniture, destroying books, doing whatever it takes to get herself in trouble because she loves the fact that she has caused an argument and is getting in trouble. Putting poop in your food, telling you that she has done these things so that she can get in trouble, jumping off of high things. And not like that cute little kid jump, but like jump and full out face planting it on the floor because you have no no sense of pain and no feeling sexual expression of yourself, whether you are rubbing your private parts on other people or showing them your private parts or dancing seductively or trying to put your hands on other people's private areas. Purposefully crashing your stuff, yourself into things so that they break. Now, these are totally different behaviors than adults, but I would say that they have the same kind of of after effect. I mean, I'm talking about a four-year-old child, three-year-old child. For a lot of parents, it's also starting fires. For a lot of parents, it's also weapons where they get the knives out and they threaten you with a knife. A lot of things. But it also notes here in section four, does not include suicidal or self-mutilating behavior as covered in criterion five. So even if you don't include us in number four, which I do in a childlike level, here's number five. Reoccurring suicidal behavior, gestures, or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. Now my child doesn't get a razor blade and go after herself, but what she does do is she scratches her skin. She'll scratch her face, she'll scratch her arms, she'll scratch her body, she'll scratch her legs, and everyone's like, oh, does she have a rash? No, no she's mad. She's frustrated. So she gets her pain out by hurting herself with her fingernails. So you will come up to her and I I sent, she's been doing this since she was 18 months old and she will punch herself in the face 
And she will constantly talk about how the world is better without her, how she needs to die, how she needs to jump out of a moving car, how she needs, you know, I don't even want to get even deeper here because I don't even, I think some of the platforms that I'm on don't even allow me to go into real detail of the things that she talks about and the things that she does. But it frustrates me because a therapist thinks that she's doing this in a way where a normal five-year-old is like, oh, I hate life. I want to die. But <laughs> I, I, I can tell you that anytime any of my children have said something like this, I have taken it very seriously. And I have, you know, gotten to address the issue the best that I know how. But I can tell you there is a gigantic difference between the way my other kids have brought this up in their deep despair moments and the way this kid brings it up. And because I see the difference and I know her personality and I know the intensity in which she lives her life, it scares me a lot more out of her because I feel like she's so impulsive that the reality is probably closer to the surface than it is with some of my more logical kids whom I do take it very seriously with. This has only happened with one of my other children. And I have to tell you, this is not a fun place to be as a mom. It's not a fun place to be. When your child has such a deep loathing for themselves that there is real depression there, that is terrifying as a parent. It is heartbreaking. And when we go to get help from someone, to be told how stupid we are and how much we don't know is not helpful. It is helpful to say, this is how it is showing up in my child. What can we do? Now let's move on to number six. <laughs> this, is a, this is another fun one that fits exactly. Effective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood, intense episodic dysphoria, irritability, or anxiety, usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. If any of you have had a reactive attachment child, especially one that is in a bad place, because we have reached the place where she's disorganized. Sometimes she has pretty good day and other days she has really bad days. But when she was mostly bad, like we didn't know how to get her out of it. She's in that bad place. I'm talking this, this intense episodic dysphoria. Not only does it rarely last more not I'm sorry, not rarely lasts more than a few days. It lasts for weeks and months and sometimes years. They can do all of this stuff. They can have the irritability. They can have the intense anxiety. They can have the screaming, the tantrums, the explosions, the rages for hours every day for years. Okay. So when you as a therapist, I'm so angry at therapists right now. When, when you as a therapist, or if you are a parent and you are dealing with a therapist, you need to let your therapist know without emotion, because they will just not just, they won't give you any credit. You say, no, it shows up like this. It is this many hours of tantrums. They are this intense. It is more than a normal child and I need help. So definitely, definitely 
Number six. Number seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. She will tell you, and you can't get this depressed and you can't get, you know, your lack of sense of self without a feeling of emptiness. She doesn't know how to connect those dots. Now she's learned and she's come a long way, but those dots are hard to connect. And especially if she gets dysregulated in a gigantic way, then then forget it. All bets are off for quite a while. But she has, we've reached a point where she can kind of find balance a lot quicker than she used to. But when you're in the thick of it, nothing but chronic feelings of emptiness. Number eight, inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. You guys, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say the word you guys enough. Frequent displays, examples, it says, frequent displays of temper, constant anger, and reoccurring physical fights. Yeah. Yeah. This it shows up. I mean, the, the, the rage and the anger that are inside your child, not your adult, your child are so intense. And it's, it's, it's hard. And number nine, this is the last in the group, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. Now she hasn't really had, I mean, her paranoid ideations or that we're going to like give her away or that we're going to um, like hate her, which I kind of think fits into the one about the fear of abandonment. I think it's kind of where that shows up for her. But she also she definitely and in her in her worst times, the severe dissociative symptoms. Yes. Yes. (laughs) She would personality shift and she would disassociate. And it was terrifying. Because the first time I am watching this child do this, she is 18 months old. And I'm like, what is this? And her um, aunt, whom she had been with before, who had had her much younger. So we got her when she was 11 months old. um, She was like, I think she's a demon. I think she is a demon of the devil. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, you're crazy, right? But then when you watch her disassociate and then you watch her personality shift and she she switches her face like in a horror movie and then you know that the rest of your day is going to be awful. (laughs) You're like, whoa, (laughs) but she's not a demon. She is actually an angel who just has a ton of stuff to deal with and and there's no help for this. You go to the therapist and it's great. My therapist, we had one who was really quite good and she worked really hard at the attachment, but anything other than attachment, she had no clue what to do. And so I went to a different therapist hoping that I could find somebody that had a clue and no clue, absolutely no clue. I, to the point where I'm explaining and explaining and explaining and she's just dismissing me and saying, oh, isn't that just kids? Oh, little kids are like that, don't you think? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't even tell you how many times that was said. It's very invalidating and I just needed help. I didn't need somebody to invalidate me. I needed help. (laughs) So the diagnostic features, there's more information in here on borderline personality disorder than there are 
with reactive attachment and disinhibited social engagement disorder. And that's great. Um, I really encourage you if you have a child with reactive attachment disorder or disinhibited personal engagement disorder that you go through the DSM criteria and you can just Google this for borderline personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder and see if they fit your child because you just need to be treating the right thing. And when reactive attachment doesn't give you the right stuff to treat, I mean, I do think the attachment therapy was beneficial for us. But if it's missing something, you need to be like, hey, here's what it's missing. Here's what I need. And you don't know what you don't know. And these therapists should know, but they don't believe you and they don't care. And they, you know, they just want to be your kid's buddy. (laughs) So it's really... Oh my gosh, I'm feeling very snarky and I apologize. So the last thing I want to talk about, and I just am going to touch on it really quickly, is narcissistic personality disorder. So one of the reasons I think they have a very hard time including this with children is that children as a general thing are kind of narcissistic. It's part of finding out who you are and learning where you fit in the world and and that kind of thing. So when I am going to read off the diagnostic criteria for this, know that the reason your therapist is having a hard time is because this exists. But the problem shows itself differently. And I'll try to explain it as we go through the criteria. A pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, a need for admiration, the lack of empathy, beginning in early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, such as indicated by five or more of the following. Okay, so I'm going to talk really quickly about the need for admiration. Because I think this, you know, you you read this and you're like, oh, this is a lot of kids. A lot of kids need admiration and they lack empathy. And a lot of kids, you know, have a, a pattern of grandiosity and behavior. But the way that it showed up in this child was far different than any child I'd ever seen. So number one, has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. Okay. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. She needed all of the attention and she needed it to be positive attention. And if you gave her negative attention, then you ended up with the whole borderline issue where she thinks that you hate her and then her whole life crumbles and falls apart. So if you are not constantly feeding her ego, then you are draining her ego and then you are therefore an enemy of her. So number two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. So I don't know how this shows up in her because I feel like this is kind of more adult terminology, but when it shows up in her, she does need to be in charge. She needs to be considered smart you know, it, you cannot tell her that she is not having a good hair day and she needs to brush her hair because that will crush her soul. You know, 
this is this isn't one that really fits her. But let's do number three believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or associate with other special or high status people or institutions. This to her shows up as a a coping mechanism, a safety net for herself. She does this, but she does this in an absolutely self-preservation way. She, it is, it is a facade. So she will do these things and say these things, but I don't think she genuinely feels them inside, but she feels like she is due for this. And, and we need to give it to her anyway, because she needs that first part, the self-importance, and she needs the admiration or she crumbles and falls apart. Number four requires excessive admiration. There you go. <laughs> uh huh. Number five has a sense of entitlement, which shows as unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one of the reasons why they have a hard time is because kids are like this. But this, it was so weird because she would, I taught all of my kids to say please and thank you, you know, as some of her, their first 10 words, right? Oh, say please, because I wanted to have polite kids because polite kids are more successful in life. They tend not to be combative with other people um, in adulthood. You tend to have politeness, which allows you to navigate your world better. So I did that. This girl would not, would not. Years in, every time she is, you know, redirected and corrected. So, you know, uh uh-oh, you need to say please, uh uh-oh. And she would not. Get me dinner. Make me dinner. I'm hungry now. You know, just those kind of things where you're like, oh, yes, your majesty, my pillow hurts. You need to do this. I need that. Go get me this. And it was just, it was truly like parent, no, not even parenting, but being the servant of the queen of Sheba, like she just wouldn't. And then it was always a combative situation because she wanted to be top dog. She wanted to boss me around. And she didn't want to have to take any kind of ruling from me. So she would just try so hard to boss me around because she wanted to be in charge. And so that is how it showed up in her. So number six is interpersonally exploitative. (laughs) Takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Yes. Number seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings or needs of others. She can get empathy when it comes to physical pain. It's so interesting. She, She can kind of now logically wrap her head around why empathy is needed in other situations, but it's a, a learned tactic and it's not something that inherently comes naturally to her. But when somebody gets physically hurt, you can see that her reaction has genuine empathy in it. And it's kind of fascinating because (laughs) she will just be so uncaring and so not care and she's right and it doesn't matter. And then that same person will like fall down and get a little scrape and she's like, (gasps) (laughs) she will switch characters and do empathy, but only in physical pain. 
only. And again, she's learning these these tricks and traits to sort of help her wrap her head around the fact that that it can happen in the rest of life. But that, again, did not come naturally. Number eight is often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) You and, and this is another reason why therapists have a hard time is because kids are like this. But the level and intensity at which my child shows this is not normal. And I would say it's not normal by a factor of 10 times. Like this shows up in a way that can't be properly verbally expressed, you know, to say, no, therapist, you don't understand. They, they just only hear, oh, well, kids, don't kids do that? Isn't that what kids do? There's got to be a level of trust on the parents. You have to be able to say, maybe this parent has something. And number nine shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. (laughs) I mean, yeah, all of these things fit with her. And I think it's really unfortunate because when it talks about, you know, how you do this, the things that I have done for my child to help her out have been to dive into these areas online. I just Google it. And I say, what do you do for someone with borderline personality disorder? And what they said was intensive therapy. So then all of a sudden, I am my child's therapist, and I am talking them through every decision that they make. And I am helping her to understand the viewpoints of every decision, and how being more um, available to the fact that other people need a certain amount of empathy or, or aren't going to, you know, leave you abandoned. And even if they do, you are capable of being yourself and building up who she is. I would spend so much time being her therapist. I was her therapist every minute because I needed to be what she needed. I needed to build up her self-identity. I needed to help her walk through the abandonment logically. I needed to help her understand her role and place in a group of people because she couldn't understand that everything was from her point of view. She couldn't understand other people or the group. And so it is a real disservice to have somebody with such mental issue not be treated for it simply because it doesn't fit under one umbrella and some guy who hasn't had any experience refuses to say that any of these things can show up in children. If you do one time somebody asked on my support page and this is where I go because it's a reactive attachment parent support page a lot of firsthand knowledge there And they said, I know that you don't have a reactive attachment disorder diagnosis after the age of 18. What does it turn to? And you got bipolar personality disorder. I mean, bipolar disorder of um, antisocial personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. And that was it. That's what everyone said. They're either listed as bipolar or borderline or antisocial. If this is what is wrong, then let's treat this for the children early. I can't remember where I was reading it, but I think it was in The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, where he talked about how sometimes genetics 
um, click on for mental illness early due to traumatic events. I think it was that one. So if these children have been traumatized and it clicks on these genes that they have for mental illness, then for heaven's sakes, you guys, let's treat the mental illness. And for those of you who are parenting a child like this, it is very critical that you understand that the behaviors your children are expressing are not always the behaviors that are being treated by the therapist. I wish you all the luck and hope that you have the strength to make it through your day because sometimes these kids just take it out of you, even though they're cute and adorable. And sometimes I think the stinkery-ish ones are the cutest. I wish you all the best. Thanks for joining me.